Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode where I get to speak to incredible people, leaders from around the world on my favorite subject, human-centered leadership and what it is to be a leader in the 21st century in a post-COVID era. What is important? What does leadership look like? Have we adapted? Have we become more agile? Do we need to change our thinking? Well, today's guest hopefully will answer some of these questions. Today's guest is Patrick Wilkins, Vice President of the Soul Publishing, uh, one of the largest digital media publishers in the world, providing entertainment and positive online content for more than a billion followers around the world. Now, that's pretty impressive, to say the least. He's also co-founder, uh, sorry, founder of... Uh, a company called Morneville Consulting, which looks at transformation in um, more in the gaming industry and digital industry, uh, helping with things like product management, gamification and optimization. I have no idea what that actually means. Interim management and coaching and programming and near sharing. Again, another phrase that's completely uh, out of my brain. So firstly, Patrick, welcome to the podcast and it's great to have you here. Yeah, cool. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, really a pleasure to to be on the podcast with you. Looking forward to it. The first things first. I need to I need to widen my knowledge. What on earth does um, gamification and optimization truly mean? It's a good question. It's a question I think that's being asked uh, many times. When you think about kids, in case you have some, or when you think about your own, you know, childhood, I think it's incredible to see how fast. Um, people learn when the learning is fun. Um, so for me, for example, I started to learn to type with uh, 10 fingers based on writing cheat codes in Age of Empire 2. So that's kind of like got me uh-huh. writing, uh, you know, with, with 10 fingers. And I learned a lot of things uh, about numbers and Excel sheets by playing some of the old web games, for example. And, and the reason wow. why it's so native is because, you know, gaming or gamification of tasks that are otherwise onerous um, with reward systems and with certain UI and UX implementations make things uh, easier and faster to to learn uh, new subjects or, you know, get into new topics. So that's kind of like gamification in, in, in a nutshell. Fascinating. I mean, that's a whole podcast episode just in that. We could really get into the neuroscience behind that, really. Uh, but I want to focus in on the work that you're doing with Soul Publishing. And, you know, you, you talk about um, producing positive online content. Can you just give us an example of what that looks like? Exactly. The Soul Publishing, we have over 1 billion followers across the globe. We produce a lot of entertaining and uplifting video content on over 25 platforms. So, for example, if you go online on YouTube or you are on Snapchat, you're on TikTok, you're you're on Instagram, you'll be able to find our content. We have shows like Five Minute Crafts, 
which is the largest DIY show on this planet. It has um, over 350 million um, subscribers and followers wow. on um, on YouTube alone. Um, mm -hmm. It's one of the only, it's the only page actually that's in the top 10 for Facebook and in the top 10 for, for YouTube. So that's the kind of content that we are uh, producing. We're trying to be, you know, inclusive, get the content to, to everybody. We are translating into 19 or 20 by now, actually, into 20 languages. And we make sure that uh, that this content is at its core, you know, adding value to your life. It's, it's positive, it's uplifting. It's kind of like your 10 minutes of, of happiness every day. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I think we need more of that, to be quite honest. Uh, you know, particularly in a post-COVID world, I think anxiety is is, is still uh, a predominant factor within society and within the organisation, certainly that I work with. Uh, I work a lot with leaders and anxiety really is prevalent in leadership at all levels. Uh, and I think to have some uplifting content uh, really plays a part in society to... to to combat this level of anxiety in a post-covid world has your life changed has your pressures changed have your challenges changed it's really a good question and i would have to think i probably would give different answers you know at, at, <laughs> uh, at different times throughout this interview as this question kind of like matures in my head yeah um i mean obviously corona uh, was a massive impact on on everybody right including myself and and my and my family uh, things changed obviously we had um you know a different way of of interacting with each other we had a different way of seeing the families a different way of seeing the friends mm. and also at work right we adjusted our um, approach the soul publishing itself has been remote way before corona actually yeah. so that's a topic we can we can discuss uh, separately, but I actually joined uh, the Soul Publishing in 2020, so so to speak, at the peak of the pandemic, moved the entire family from the Netherlands to to Cyprus. So yeah, there was uh, was an adventure, um, and uh, certainly an experience. Uh, and yeah, it, it did impact obviously uh, myself uh, and 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 the people around me um, on a management level. Um, if we want to go into that, it also I think opened it up for many companies that the way that work has been done, you know, like 50 years prior is not something that, that can easily continue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a sea change of, it was a sea change for many, many organizations, wasn't it? Yes. And I think it was like a catalyst. I do, um, you know, I've been subject to those conversations, um, you know, many years before people wanted more opportunities to work remote. People wanted to get yeah. rid of, meetings again i've been working in entertainment for 16 years so i always had the you know the opportunity and the privilege to to work in a very kind of like forward-thinking environment um you know my my mother for example she's been working 40 years in retail as, as a salesperson you know these conversations did not cross her mind or you know mm. the mind of her colleagues and they wouldn't have been able to but again in this privileged position that that, that many of 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 you know, our colleagues are in that, that are in digital, obviously that has been discussed and um, Corona made it a necessity, right? Especially for the leadership of the various companies to, to enable that because the alternative would have been to, to shut down the business. Yeah. And I think for, for many, many companies, especially in digital, especially in entertainment, um, it worked out very well. It was really an important proof of concept that people do work when they're not directly supervised. You know, the quality of the content that's being put out has been consistently high. There was no dip in, in uh, you know, in, 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 in quality. 
uh, that, that we have seen. So yeah, I think, uh, again, Corona was a catalyst for that. Did you find that um, whatever the outcomes and the output uh, for um, Soul Publishing largely remained unaffected because you guys, as you say, were already working remotely and you're in the online space already? But did you find that you and the senior leadership team had to start thinking differently for the staff that you had employed uh, uh, for yourselves uh, in all of these countries? Not really. I mean, obviously, every country experienced Corona in a slightly different way. Yeah. And there were like local restrictions that we had to follow. But at the very core of our management philosophy, at the very core of our processes, nothing actually changed due to Corona. Because you were already working remotely, that was your that was your your structure already. Exactly. So the soul publishing made a conscious and proactive decision before Corona happened to become a global company, to become a digital first company, to become a company yeah. that is uh, embracing uh, asynchronous communication, that is embracing no meeting policies, that's you know enabling people to work everywhere in the way that they want to work. So that was that is our culture that was a that was a decision that we did um again prior to to corona so therefore corona no did not really impact how we're doing things it certainly impact the conversations that we're having because like now a lot of companies you know and a lot of friends and other companies having conversations with us you know asking us for, for our experiences and stuff yeah i was just going to come on to that patrick really because uh, if you think about it, what you're essentially saying is that, uh, you know, Soul Publishing was already future-proofed. So while ever there was very little impact on yourselves, and you might be thinking, well, actually, this is this is quite normal for us. Uh, I, I think you're out on your own, really, because you you must be one of the, the, the tiny percentage of countries that were already prepared for this eventuality. So many other countries out there and many of the client organizations I work with, Patrick, are still struggling with this concept of remote working, of hybrid working. Uh, I have uh, been consulted by companies who really want to bring their employees back to work and get back to working in a way that's much more comfortable for them, that they're more used to. What, what is your message there to these kind of companies? To the companies that are considering bringing the people back mm. to the office. It wouldn't be something that the soul is doing for sure. Um, I think the important question is, you know, what's the, what's kind of like the baseline, what's the philosophy of those companies? Yeah. Um, I know many people and I had many conversations with people that don't want to go back to the office, that appreciate the freedom that, you know, um, they, they received over, over the last couple of years and also the trust that they received over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and I know that there is a percentage of people, even in this environment today, where there have been mass layoffs in, in tech, obviously, um, but there are people uh, still today um, that would rather change the job to stay remote than going back to the office. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the the drivers behind things like the Great Resignation, and uh, you know, and 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 people now going taking industrial action. Uh, it is about they're not happy with their working conditions. And, um, you know, when they don't feel trusted, some people I have known of uh, people who have left organizations completely, even with no job to go to, because they are unhappy with the work environment. And they think, well, you know what, I will find a job elsewhere. I know I will, that will be better suited to my values. So I think values has become a really, really big thing um, since 2020. I think, 
you know, people have recalibrated their priorities because we're so close to death, because death was something that was being talked about so much in 2020. I think people started thinking deeper and thought, asked themselves, what's important for me as a, as a human being uh, first and then an employee second? Uh, so many of these organizations are saying, well, hey, you know, we, we, we've seen things in, in the media where some big organizations say, hey, we want to bring our people back to work now. We want to get back to normality. Well, I'm not entirely sure what normality is anymore. I was, I think that's the key, right? Like whatever your definition of normal is, yeah, you, you might want to go or you might have to go back mm. to an office environment, kind of like nine to five, you know, sitting in the office, running into meetings and, and doing things the, the way that you've done them for the last 50 years. And then for the so publishing, obviously, normal has always been no meetings, asynchronous communication, people working wherever they like to be. They're working towards a common goal rather than yeah. having their keystrokes, um, you know, measured and, and, and controlled. For us and, and for me in particular, it's all about, you know, it's all about the results. Um, there are multiple ways of, of getting there. You know, different people have different approaches. Um, that's all fine. As long as, you know, in the end you have a great product. I do think the soul publishing we have been, you know, uh, we've been we've been delivering. And I do think we, we're going to continue to deliver. We had over 200 billion views, for example, in, in, in the last year. So Incredible. The first company in the world that actually reached these numbers as early as uh, October uh, in 2022. Um, so people appreciate the content putting out and I do think our colleagues appreciate the environment that, that we're providing for them, especially because, you know, there are a lot of young people, there are a lot of creative people. You know, we have quite a few people that had their very first job with us, right? They've been growing with us. So, you know, providing an environment of trust, of mentorship, of support that allows them to live the life that they want to live. And at the same time, delivering the product and, you know, the, uh, the videos and the uplifting content that they would love to do. I think that's, that's, a, great, um, that's a great position to be. And, and, and yeah, we're happy to, you know, deliver that to, to our fans. But also I'm really inspired. I'm really inspired by what you're saying, because we started off talking about remote working, which, of course, is important because this is the way of the world right now. We are in this digital world. We have things like this, this, this software that we're using right now and many, many more besides, which give us the ability to connect globally uh, through digital uh, media and digital means. But I think if you take it to the next level... Uh, one of the downsides of working remotely, I'm sure you would, would accept, is this whole concept of isolation and fragmentation, possibly, uh, um, within teams. Um, you know, teams might not be as cohesive because everyone's working in their own little room somewhere, uh, somewhere far removed from the other person. So where you've taken it to the next level uh, with Soul Publishing is this building of trust as a foundation. And I, I, I talk about this all the time, uh, that all great organizations, all high-performing organizations will have one thing in common. They will have a foundational stone built on trust, where they trust their employees. They're not measuring, and you say that you're, we're not measuring keystrokes because that would be a good measure for a digital organization, but we're not measuring the output as such from individual employees. We are focusing on the big picture, i.e. are we hitting are our outcomes where they need to be as an organization? I love that. Uh, so that also suggests to me that there's no blame culture within soul publishing as well, i.e. there's no finger pointing at individuals. 
Am I right? Or am I just, you know, looking at the cloud, pig, fluffy, you know, sort of environment? No, I don't. I don't think there is. I don't think there's a blame culture. I do think there is a very straightforward culture of saying mm-hmm. if something is not working and pointing it out, I wouldn't, you know, I know that finger pointing has a negative connotation to it. I'd rather, you know, would consider that to like a football team, right? If you defend or if you mid. Yeah midfield or your you know uh, your fast forward is, is is doing something that's not in line with you know the strategy or it's not in line with you know your your belief and your philosophy you know it, it's the right environment to point it out and you know to suggest things to get better so this we yeah. have but finger pointing for the sake of you know finger pointing or blaming i, I think that's unproductive I, I don't know what the point could be for somebody to do that um and and certainly i'm, I'm happy that that i don't see that at the full publishing at all we talk about finger pointing. Uh, I, I, I want to just use slightly different language because, you know, for me, when you're saying that, I, I hear accountability and I hear healthy conflict debate. Yeah. And it was a conversation I was having um, when I was talking to a group of leaders at a university yesterday. We're, we're having exactly this conversation. We're talking about only when you have this solid foundation of trust can you actually have healthy conflict debates, you know, mm-hmm. and conflict, you know, Conflict conversations are important in the workplace. If we don't have those conversa- those difficult conversations, if we're not having those in the workplace, then what essentially is happening is that people are shying away from the elephant in the room. And if the elephant in the room doesn't get addressed, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some point, it's going to explode. And yeah. when you do have healthy conflict, then you feel much more uh, able to hold each other to account as well. So while you might not be measuring the outputs from the individuals, you can still hold them to account and say, hey, you, you're you supposed to have done this or you promised to do this, but it's not been done uh, without any sense of blame being apportioned. I think that's a subtlety. And, and I do think that our no meeting policy, for example, or our, you know, we have another of few other policies in place to support asynchronous working. Our no meeting policy really supports that. When I do come up with an idea or my teams come up with an idea, you know, I do communicate that in written form, right? Yeah. I, I put it out there for everybody to see, for everybody to review, not in kind of like a 10-minute time frame where I keep, you know, pushing and, and keep talking down on everybody, uh, so to speak, or over everybody to kind of like get my message across, but in an environment where everybody feels comfortable, right, in their own preferred place reading up on on an idea that um, I might came up with and then having an ability to actually comment on it um, you know and having also the time to think about the reply so you know everything is documented everything is available um, you know everything is transparent so a lot of the negative parts of office politics are simply prevented just by the 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 form of communication that we've that we've chosen Um, so I, I think it's really important to, to to keep that in mind when you when you think about um, you know asynchronous communication when you think about you know no meetings when when you, when you think about what 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 all the positive effects are of that. Yes, and this whole concept of meetings, and I mentioned, I'm glad you've mentioned the no meetings policy that you have uh, within Soul Publishing because it is an area that's really intrigued me. Many, many, many years ago, I was head of corporate services uh, in a police service, head of organisational development in essence, and I measured the cost of meetings, particularly the strategic meetings with senior leaders uh, around the table. And many of these meetings, uh, Patrick, we had like, they were standing agenda items. They were penciled in. They were absolute monthly meetings. 
And I, I wondered how much business are we actually doing there? So I, I calculated everybody's hourly wage. I, I calculated the time of the meeting and we came up with a, you know, ballpark figure. This meeting is costing us X thousands of pounds. Yeah. And then we asked the question, have we done X thousands of pounds worth of business? And very often, because we just had standing agenda items, we hadn't. There were no real actions coming out that were moving us forward. But you've taken this to a whole new level at Soul Publishing. And I love it. I'm really, really intrigued by this. So you've introduced a no meetings policy. Do you, do you want to just explain why that happened, how that came about uh, and, and how it works? Yes. Um, around 2000. 19 when we when we thought about you know like the, the way that we want to work we also thought about that that meetings are not in our best uh not in our best interest i do believe that that ban- banning meetings is overall or in general like a human-centric approach um where you put the person into the middle of it and then everything else around it um you know when you ban meetings uh you give people the autonomy to work wherever they want in whatever time zone because you do not force them into rigid process structures, for example. You, again, by having no meetings, again, no meetings does not mean that we're not communicating, right? On the contrary, it's not like, oh, this company has no meetings, they don't need to talk about anything. We talk a lot, but we do not talk in the close confines of a meeting, which, to be honest, even while that meeting is taking place, in in, in many circumstances, there are no meeting minutes that are being written for other people to, to check, right? In most cases, they're not recorded, so yes. these meetings are basically happening behind closed doors and then you need to rely on everybody to actually communicate. We are just removing that step. We are directly communicating with everybody. We're putting our yeah. thoughts you know, into a system called Confluence, which is basically like a wiki um, or kind of like a, like a board system. And um, you know, everybody can read up on it uh, who, who feels that, that, um, that this information is important to them mm-hmm. and um, that, that delivers a level of transparency, that delivers you know, a feeling of of trust and it also yeah. again um, removes that that constraint that, that that comes with meetings and to your point um, when you when you calculate the costs of a meeting when you have five six seven people in that in that meeting uh, the costs are very significant especially when you consider that recent surveys suggest that over uh, over COVID around eighteen hours of a week are being spent in meetings mm-hmm. that's nearly half your uh, half your productivity so yeah the meetings have to be tremendous and super productive in order to justify that amount of time allocation and often let's be honest they're not i'm really intrigued by this uh, patrick and you know i'm writing a book called the art of human-centered leadership one of the paragraphs is going to be on meetings so um don't be surprised if i just turn up at your door doorstep and wanting to have another conversation with you because i think this is a really really good case study in terms of uh, what you have achieved at Soul Publishing. And I take my hat off to you because this is the kind of courageous steps I think we need to have in a post-COVID world. I think leaders need to be courageous enough to stop doing the things that we traditionally have done in organisations and have the courage to do something completely different. And we were talking uh, before you came on, I was talking to, to, to Samuel, Director of Communications, we're talking about diversity and inclusion. Uh, and my view on diversity inclusion is that, you know, everyone's chasing representation. We need to have X percentage of this, X percentage of that, X percentage of, uh, of such another. But the truth of it all is, if the company culture isn't ready to accept these individuals and allow them to speak with a voice that has made them uh, a minority uh, community, then actually you're not 
you're not being inclusive at all. So we need to be courageous uh, with all of these traditional things that we've always done and do things differently. And you've exemplified that perfectly with meetings. One of the things that I'm hearing an awful lot about when it comes to meetings from so many of my clients, and and I work predominantly with leaders in organisations, most leaders are saying is, if we thought meetings were bad before covid they are 10 times worse after COVID because what's happening now is with remote working, uh, we are literally having meetings penciled back to back into our diaries. So we go from one meeting at 11 o'clock, which finishes at 11 o'clock, and the next meeting starts at 11 o'clock. We literally have no time for respite. So not only are you building trust in your organisation by having this transparency that you talk about with meetings, but also you're preventing fatigue in your organisation. You're preventing fatigue, meeting fatigue in your your staff uh, across Soul Publishing, which I'm really, really, uh, you know, inspired by. I think it's great. Have you seen any difference since 2019 as a result of introducing this idea? Me personally, I joined in, in 2020. So for me, it was very natural to, you know, since then it was very natural right like the whole organization was already on board or is already on board with that what i what i did see what i did experience obviously i worked in other organizations uh before that did not have those no meeting policies and i have seen myself i you know liked meetings i like to sit in a room of people and share my vision and to get this connection this rah-rah moment to like push an idea uh, forward and um, you know coming into an organization where that is not the norm and not encouraged um, yeah. where it's not about the charisma of, of of your leader or you know the the language abilities or you know other um, you know other factors um, but it's about the the quality of the message um, that obviously required me to to change uh, my approach and it took yeah, three, three, four months uh, to to really um, get behind, right? Yeah, because of course you're changing a whole way of being, right? Because this is so unheard of. <laughs> and what made it really easy for me was the clear message from the company. It just does not happen, Patrick, right? You do not do meetings to get your point across. Um, and that was either you embrace it or you don't. Right. It's yeah. not for everybody. hundred percent. I agree on this one. It's not easy. Neither. I'm not saying that. Um, but once, and again, that's to the credit of, of the soul publishing's leadership team has been always very clear. You do not do meetings. You communicate via um, Asana, which is our project management tool. You communicate mm-hmm. by Confluence, which is the Wiki that I just mentioned. Um, or in some uh, urgent cases, you communicate via, via Slack giving everybody the time they need to uh, digest the content, you get a whole new level of questions in response. And therefore, you need to, you know, adjust your, your, your writing style. In a meeting, let's be honest, how many times did we experience really organizational changing, product changing questions? I don't think that meetings, how they've been done or how they're being reintroduced nowadays are um, the best um, basis for those conversations. You know, people usually go into meetings 
A, they don't want to be in meetings. B, maybe they're only necessary in a 60-minute meeting for like five minutes. Yes. They wonder what they should do the rest of the time. They're already thinking about the meeting afterwards. They usually don't prepare well for the meeting that they're in in the first place because there's no time. Because like you mentioned, they're back-to-back meetings, right? When, when should they do that? Yeah. Um, so, again, removing these um, obstacles... Uh, and focusing on 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 the core of what the business is, what the product is, what you want to achieve, I do think is 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 supported by by a no by a no meeting policy. It's supported by you know writing things down rather than talking about it and then uh, forgetting about it and and having the next meeting a week later to be reminded what the you know what the yeah. agenda was in, in the first place. I, I just don't think that's the when you put it the way that you put it, Patrick, it just makes perfect sense. You know, you, you've highlighted all the things. Uh, the uh, challenges that people go through when they go to meetings, you know, this idea of somebody may only have a five minute uh, contribution in a meeting and then for, you know, 55 minutes, what are they going to do? And how much do we really get out of meetings? And of course, in a post-COVID digital world, it's back-to-back meetings and meeting fatigue and all of these kind of things. Uh, and, and of course, on top of that, previously you had talked about the transparency and the trust. Uh, you know, all of these fantastic philosophies that you have uh, put forward just makes it so just makes so much sense to me in what i would de- deem as a human centered organization and and that's sort of where you what your driver is isn't it you've mentioned having a human centric culture and i think that is a driver and you you've demonstrated by focusing on your people it is not um, affected your overall performance in a in a bad way. Actually, it's driven the performance up. So all of these organizations and leaders out there that very often ask me, you know, okay, so if you were to help us with our people-centered uh, initiatives and skill sets, how does that equate to tangible outcomes? And it's always a question that's really hard to, because you have to take a leap of faith, don't you? And I think that's what Soul Publishers has done. It's taken a leap of faith, but it's proved worthwhile for you. So what would you say to, you know, any of the leaders might be listening to this and saying, okay, so what Patrick is saying is take some big steps forward, some really big, courageous steps forward, but I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure if there's going to be a tangible outcome. What would you say to them to inspire them? Yeah, first of all, I would I would agree with them. It takes... Uh, you know, a lot of effort and it takes a very big step and it takes, you know, courage to actually implement these things, especially when your organization is is, is not used to it. Um, you need to make sure that you as, as leadership are of one mind and that you do agree that you're aligned. I think that's really important. You need to get your mid-level managers to be on board and, 100%. Uh, and you, need to, you know, really push it through. There is going to be there will be questions. Uh, there are going to be concerns. You could probably discuss that subject for five months for 10 years even and not make a decision because there's so many points but you could also you know write a conference post about it what your logics and what your you know thoughts uh, are what you believe can happen and then everybody can can comment on it you listen to it and and if you still feel that this is the right move forward and if everybody had a chance to kind of like voice their concerns or you know give suggestions on how to improve and you incorporated those recommendations then i do think you should you know, do the leap of faith um, and and uh, start rolling it out. And don't, you know, don't spend six months on it, spend three months on it, right? Make it time constrained. It's going to be crazy. A lot of people are going to complain about it. When I actually joined the Soul Publishing, we had another project management uh, software that we used. 
was an older system. It worked very well for us to get us from, you know, where we started in, in, in 2016 to then, uh, you know, 200 billion views, but it wouldn't help us to reach the next level. So the organization um, started a research into new tools um, and we came up with, we came up with a tool. I don't want to make any advertising here. I mean, it's obviously the, the, the tool we're using, but so we came up with a tool. We use Asana. Then we rolled it out over three months. And, you know, that was my first months in the organization. Uh, I thought it's crazy. I do yeah. not believe that it can be done because I've been in other organizations before that have been agile, that have been, you know, digital, that have been yeah. forward thinking, great organizations. Um, and, and it would have not been possible in, in, uh, in three months. And what I realized is by putting the constraints on it, by simply saying that needs to be done in three months, yeah. I was so surprised by the managers, right? And by the, the teams, they really, um, you know, uh, they really rose up to the to the occasion, so to speak. They really delivered. I think one of the, um, if, if we're to have some final comments and final wisdom from you, I think the key message here is that, you know, this is about transformation and change, right? Whatever the issue is, this is about transformation and change. And, and in order for us to transform and change in an organization, we need to have, first and foremost, we need to have courage. Uh, but we also need to build on a foundation of trust, which you've established anyway in Soul Publishing. That's probably why it was that bit easier for you. But thirdly, you mentioned something there, which I think is absolutely critical in any kind of change. And I see this, this is where it fails in so many organizations. The senior leadership team have to have the buy-in of the middle uh, managers, the middle leaders in the organization, because they are the ones that have connection to the front line. They are the ones that take your message and make that message come to life in essence. So I see this happening in so many organizations where the executive uh, arm of the organization has a phenomenal idea, but because they a, don't have the trust and confidence and the relationship with the middle managers and B, they haven't communicated it correctly, that's where the stumbling block is. And that's where you don't get the 100% buy-in. So consequently, what comes out is a dilution of the original message. And I think this is where it really helps to not just make middle-level management feel like they're part of it through some managerial trick or some, you know, like PR mm. campaign, but make them part of the process. When I you do talk about no meetings, when you talk about um, uh, using uh, asynchronous communication, you will write an article, you will write a thought, and it's not the final thought that you can put in a newspaper, right? It is yeah. work in progress, and everybody yeah. sees that it it's work in progress. Everybody sees... It's not perfect. Everybody sees that, you know, recommendations are being listened to. They're being incorporated into the program. So everybody who's really interested can participate, not just in the um, execution of it, but in the concepts, conceptualization of it in yeah. the very initial meetings. And when you would have meetings only, let's talk about C-level management gets together, the, v the VPs get together. Um, those are usually not the meetings that other mid-level managers or again everybody right i'm not just talking about the mid-level managers when we mm. publish something yeah. two, we have 2500 colleagues 2500 uh, colleagues can read and comment on it so um and that is really this 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 crucial step that helps you to get everybody aligned and also it helps by saying guys you've been part of that process you could have contributed you, for reasons, did not. That's fine. 
but now don't be the blocker, right? Be yeah. part of the be part of the solution. Don't become a problem. That's part of our that's part of our company culture. Um, that's what we ask in return, right? Yeah, and do you know what? There is so much wisdom in this one podcast, um, Patrick. I want to thank you. I've really enjoyed listening to you. I think we're going to have a longer conversation. Uh, in the future there is no doubt about that uh, I want to feature the work that you're doing in uh, in Soul Publishing in the book that I will be writing uh, later on in the year but thank you so much for being on the uh, show really do appreciate it thanks for taking time out all the way from Cyprus cool thank you so much for having me thank you thanks for listening I hope you enjoyed this podcast please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content and of course connect with me on LinkedIn take care have a great day